Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Good afternoon, listeners. This is the DOGS program. The Australian Council for Defence of Government Schools are here every Saturday at 12 noon without fail. Well, sometimes there is a fail, I'm afraid, but it's not our fault. Uh, But we are here at noon every Saturday to defend and to promote public education. And as we tell you every week, that is education that's public in purpose and outcome. Above all, it is public in access. It's accessible to all children, regardless of where they come from, how much their parents earn, what's in their parents' bank balance and uh, what background they may come from, religious or otherwise. It should be public in ownership and control and it should be the only one that is publicly funded because it's the only one that's publicly accountable. And we know that more and more we have to fight for these ideas, these things. We still do have a public education system in Australia with our state schools and some of them are really great schools. We still do have teachers who are dedicated to the idea of teaching all the children in their classrooms and not abandoning large numbers of them. We still have principals who believe in this, and we still even have some uh, bureaucrats who believe in it. But unfortunately, the zeitgeist, if you want to call it, the um, ideas that are driving so many of our governments and our economies at the moment are economists, and they are interested in market forces uh, and children are being crunched up in those market forces. Now, we'll hear more of this from Dale later. I have to apologise for Robert this week. He's making music in Brisbane and very happy, I'm sure he is. But he'll be back next week. Now, we do have a website at www.adogs.info and here is our press release 712. It is, uh, in fact, a letter or, uh, yes, it's a letter from a gentleman called Harry Grossick, who is the principal of the Berwick Lodge Primary School in Victoria. And it comes from the Save Our Schools website. He writes, The soap opera that masquerades as debate on education policy. Much ado has been made of Gonski 2.0, and the Turnbull government's claim that it is a uniform, needs-based and fair model for the resourcing of Australian schools. The implication is that it will lead to better learning outcomes for all children. It is certainly not uniform, 
though it does bring in a measure of fairness not in existence in Gonski 1.0. In the sense that it may disrupt our public-private model of education, though, it is a failure. Its major consequence is the segregation of children in their school age years based on religious beliefs, socio-economic background and even educational ability. The future also of those select entry government schools will not be jeopardised and property prices of desirable zone government schools in Victoria will continue to ensure the exclusion of anyone other than those who can afford them. There's a very sad irony to the mantra of choice of schools in our country. It's hardly a stretch to argue that the cost of choice in school education may well be pricing the average Australian family out of more choice than we care to admit. What does all this say for the state of education in our country? Politically speaking, our nation embroils itself in a self-destructive discourse in school education. Unsurprising, really, given the fiercely competitive landscape we have fashioned over the years across and within our school systems. Given the importance a good education bestows upon the holders and the influence of powerful stakeholders, it is little wonder that our major political parties flip-flop on policy more than a well-baked pancake ever does. Populism has never been more rampant. Perhaps those of us in schools can be forgiven for believing that we are little more than pawns in the political games our leaders play. Who was it, after all, that stated that they had no problem with seeing swimming pools in the grounds of wealthy private schools? It's hard to believe that that comment came from a Labor leader yet all the while an embarrassing number of poor government schools couldn't even find the funds to fix leaking roofs or replace rotting timbers. No surprise, however, to hear from a recent Coalition Prime Minister that supporting private schools was in his DNA and that he had no compunction in stripping $30 billion from primary government schools by discontinuing Gonski 1.0. Surprise, however, that the current coalition government has reinstated some measure of fairness to school funding by reinventing Gonski 1.0 as Gonski 2.0. Puzzlingly, the Labor opposition now fiercely opposes Gonski 2.0, partly because they view it as being unfair to the Catholic school sector. Conveniently, however, it is forgotten that the Catholic sector were in receipt of a sweetener in the first place to support Gonski 1.0. Then there was the promise that no school would be worse off. Back ending the bulk of Gonski 1.0 funds into the never-never of years 5 and 6 by the Labor government of the day might have made short-term economic sense but it certainly contributed to the current and longer-term shortchanging of public schools in particular. That in no way excuses the current coalition government of for reneging on the original Gonski recommendations. 
Welcome as are the minor improvements of Gonskby 2.0. It still falls far short of the original recommendations of the Gonski report. In the wash-up, it was the minor parties who supported the bill through the Senate. Ironic, since it was the Greens who negotiated last-minute changes that saw more than $5 billion added to Gonski 2.0 and the timeline for funds distribution cut by years. But who couldn't, in the end, support the bill? Opportunism and populism exact a heavy price on us all. It is little wonder, then, that scepticism remains alive and well in many school communities. The perception that the politics of education policy in our country is fast becoming an unedifying soap opera is difficult to resist. For that, we have our political leaders and parties, not to mention the powerful lobby groups, to blame. As if that's not enough, alarm bells continue to ring when discussion on the likely impact of the Gonski 2.0 package of reforms turn to indicators such as the Programme for International Student Assessment, PISA tests, and our own NAPLAN tests. There's so much more to a quality education than PISA and NAPLAN. Given that Australia is one of the leading nations in the world insofar as supporting and promoting a competitive public-private school system, and Gonski 2.0 will not change that one bit, it is also fair to question whether we have the right model of school education in place in the first instance. Well, I think that uh, Mr Gossick should be congratulating Mr Grossick, I'm sorry, the principal of the Berwick Lodge Primary School should be congratulated uh, for that uh, opinion piece. And of course our, our model is broken. It's broken because we give state aid, and let's call it state aid, public funding, state aid to private schools in the first place so that they're not private at all and they're not public either. Uh, they are a strange aberration on the education landscape. So that was Mr Grossick, and we'll have a little break um, for a bit of music. There is a flower duet for you.
Well, there's been some very interesting other opinion pieces in the paper in the last week. Amanda Vanstone has written again, and uh, she is, of course, as a good Liberal Party member, backing up Mr Birmingham. But the way she backs him up is very interesting indeed. She's actually quite prepared to wave, of all things, the sectarian flag. She asks, if Catholic schools are getting more than Lutheran schools, is that fair? So uh, I'll pass you over now to Dale, who will read this opinion piece for you. Thanks, Jean. Yeah, the article, uh, the piece here is entitled Golden Handshake is Catholic Guilt, uh, and that's guilt without the U. Okay. Religion should make no difference to the government or to its funding of schools. Amanda Vanstrom. The next election should prove interesting for a plethora of reasons, not the least of which will be any campaign by the Catholic Church against the government over education funding. I thought Christians, Catholic, Lutheran, Anglican or otherwise, were committed to fairness. <laughs> for the sake of transparency, let me say... Uh, let me say, I went to an Anglican school and that my first stepfather in what was then a very sectarian Adelaide was a Catholic. I'm a non-believer who lives as best as I can by Christian values. The differences between one denomination and another might be important to them, but they are irrelevant to me. Your religion is your business. It should make no difference to the government. What if a bill was put before Parliament that varied your access to welfare depending on your religion? Rightly, there would be an uproar. In essence, that's what's been happening to education funding. The Catholics have been getting more just because they're Catholic. The Catholic education system has had a golden handshake from successive governments for a very long time. The preferential treatment for the Catholic system meant that if you had two identical schools side by side, but one was, Catholic, one was a Catholic school and the other Lutheran, the Catholic school would get more. There's no good reason for that. They are, politi are a politically very powerful organisation. There are churches and parish schools all over the country. They are in marginal seats and have people and money that can be mobilised to those seats. That's probably why they've been able to, able to hold on to the golden handshake for so long. Simon Birmingham sought to right that wrong and was successful. The drums have been beating for a battle in marginal seats, really. It would be interesting to see how a Christian church argues in marginal seats that they should get more than another school in the exact same position. Will they say their kids are more important? Will they say their kids are more meritorious? That message doesn't have an egalitarian Christian ring to it. Will they say that school fees will have to go up? As that isn't true, it would be a very risky business. Being truthful and honest are important character traits one expects to find in Christians. If a Christian organisation went, went into lying to the public, it would be a very bad look. <laughs> they're getting more money, so they can't say their funding has been cut. So that doesn't leave a very strong public campaign. If they choose to run a campaign from the pulpit, they might have to th 
they might have a bit more success, but I don't think so. Presumably people who go to church regularly have not only their faith, but faith in their local priest as well. If the priests exert influence, it may make a difference. But even then, that would be a sotto voce campaign as opposed to a public political one. And they would, they will still be hamstrung by those essential Christian characteristics of fairness and honesty. Can you imagine a local priest arguing to his flock that they should vote Labour because a Liberal government has decided to treat them equally rather than give them an advantage over others? Here's the short form. Don't vote for them. They took away the unfair advantage we had over less, over the less well off. I can't see that happening. It's natural enough for any person or organisation that loses an advantage, even an unfair one, to be unhappy. The better path would be to be grateful for the times and accept the new fair order graciously. I certainly hope the former Labour member for Macmillan, being the executive director of Catholic Education, hasn't played a part in the nonsense that's been spewing out into the public arena. I hope that organisation, I hope that organisation has been truthful with its members. In the bigger picture, let's not forget the gargantuan achievement of Minister Birmingham. The Gonski reforms have been implemented. Labour luminaries, one after another, have endorsed what has been achieved. The exception is the denial that Bill Shorten has locked into. He is still pretending that Labour's 27 special deals with states and territories, unions and non-government school leaders was a good idea. Labour actually negotiated a situation where a disadvantaged student in one state would get up to... $1,900 less than that exact same student would in the exact same school if it were in another state. That wasn't in accord with Gonski principles at all. It was a quick fix, backdoor, slapdash policy on the run. Birmingham's achievements are th- achievement is threefold. First, students are now being funded on a much fairer basis Australia-wide. Second, the states have been, stop- have been forced to stop their cheap cost shifting. Cleverly, they've been stopped from walking away from their obligations to educate our children. And last but not least, a long-standing inequity in the funding of students has been fixed. This has been a star performance from the Minister, and yet here is a star that doesn't seek the centre stage. It seems he just wants to get things done. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a very interesting article indeed, isn't it, mm. uh, Dale? Mm. Uh, Amanda Vanstone is often quite quite interesting. She started off, I believe, in the community legal centres. Uh, she's quite a good lawyer. But uh, that's a very brave article if you think about it. Of course, what the La- Liberal Party doesn't understand is that the, the Catholic Church picks the winners for the next election. And the winners for the next election are probably going to be the Labor Party. So they will then argue if the Labor Party gets in and they're taking the part of the Catholic Church, then the Catholic Church still has the power to determine uh, education, welfare and a lot of other policies. But um, it was, it's still a very interesting article indeed and it perhaps it shows the sign of the times that the um, mythical Catholic vote is not as strong mm. Well, it's a bit like that mythical poor parish school. Mm. Perhaps it really doesn't exist as it used to do in the days of the DLP. After all, the DLP have gone, well, they've jumped like a flea from the Labor to the Liberal Party. And they're certainly doing a very good job of destabilising it, led by uh, uh, 
great and fearless ex-Prime Minister, Mr Abbott. Mm. However, I think that in history we'll treat uh, Gillard rather well. And she's come back, I notice, on the TV this week as the leader of Beyond Blue. And her comments on the political scene were very interesting indeed. Uh, Quite a lady. It makes you very proud in many ways to be a lady in Australia at the moment. And the fact that we did, even if it was for a time, have a lady Prime Minister. Let's hope we'll get there again and that... um, The next Lady Prime Minister is not treated as badly as Gillard was. What she did for us, of course, was put up the My School website so that people like Bonner and Cobald and the dogs and um, Shepherd have been able to give us lots and lots of information. But we'll have another little break with a bit more music and then we'll come back to talk about the privatisation of our education system uh, as uh, there is outsourcing of our curriculum.
as we promised you, we're going to talk about the privatisation of resources, education department resources for schools. Uh, the New South Wales Teachers Federation, once again, is on to what is happening. And here is Mal Heron, who is the president of the New South Wales Teachers Federation, to let you know about this, and then Dale will read you uh, some, a report on what he is saying. I think the concern of teachers that the education department, uh, through its loss of hundreds and hundreds of support positions over the last few years, that there is a vacuum that that has created and is now being filled by, by very large corporations who are selling very expensive and pretty low quality products to schools. They're not in it there as a charity. Uh, they're not in it as a neutral government department. They're there to make, a money, make money, make a buck. And so we see they, them probably unduly influencing uh, education policy. Then they're saying that uh, when the students write their creative writing piece, they'll have laptops, they'll have computers market, not teachers, not human markers they call them. They're too expensive. We'll get rid of teachers marking students' work and instead we'll have computers market. That will mean that uh, the whole way we teach children writing could change. And no one has given permission for these companies to do this, certainly from the teaching profession. Students are being used as guinea pigs, effectively. I mean, no parent has given permission for this to happen. Okay, and that was Murray Mulheron. And here's the report uh, that accompanies that piece of audio. Private companies accessing studio, student data fuels commercialisation fears. Private companies are gaining unprecedented access to students' personal and academic data, drafting NAPLAN questions and producing teaching and learning materials, prompting fears that businesses are dictating the focus of public education policy. More than 90% of public school teachers and principals are concerned about the privatisation of public education, including the ethics of private companies having access to student data, a new study of 2,200 educators, including 1,100 in New South Wales, has revealed. Private companies are unduly influencing public education policies, says Murray Mulheron from the New South Wales Teachers Federation. A key area of privatisation in Australian education is the standardised NAPLAN tests administered to students in Year 3, 5, 7 and 9 at public and non-government schools, according to the report which was commissioned by the New South Wales Teachers Federation and released on Tuesday. Almost all elements of the NAPLAN tests have been contracted out have been contracted out to private companies such as multi-billion global educator provider Pearson, UNSW Global and British-based National Foundation of Education Research, including the development of test questions, reporting on results and the final national performance analysis. The growing emphasis on NAPLAN tests is giving companies considerable influence over what is valued in education, teachers say. A lot of education is shaped around NAPLAN and trying to improve things there, and, and that does, unfortunately, shape the way people teach, said Corinne Campbell, who was a primary school teacher for 20 years before becoming a principal at a North Sydney primary school last year. If there's a deficit in an area of the tests... The teachers do use the curriculum material created by companies like Pearson, said Miss Campbell, who's also secretary of the Middle Harbour Teachers Association. 
I've been really troubled in the last five to ten years about the increased presence of commercial providers in schools. In New South Wales, Pearson has been responsible for printing and distributing NAPLAN tests, overseeing the marking process and reporting on results since 2012 under two agreements with the, U- with the New South Wales Education Standards Authority worth a total of $51.9 million. Pearson has also been contracted to develop the OECD's benchmark program for international student assessment, or PISA, test for 2018, which is one of the biggest textbook publishers and providers of professional development services for its teachers in Australia and worldwide. The fact that one company can have a monopoly over the global system where it can run national and international tests as well as mark the tests and report on them and market materials on how to do well is certainly cause for concern. One of the report's authors and a lecturer at the University of Queensland, Dr Anna Hogan, said. She said the increased focus on tests such as NAPLAN and PISA has done little to benefit students but has been profitable for private companies. Global education reform is already well down this path. The idea that standardised testing is a way to improve and push up students and what we've seen is that that really is not happening, said Dr Hogan. Pearson Australia Managing Director David Barnett said parts of the business were kept completely separate and the company produces only a tiny amount of NAPLAN-related resources. The conflict of interests being suggested would be in a breach of our contractual obligations to our clients, Mr Barnett said. However, the report finds there is a sense among teachers that buying Pearson textbooks will help the students do well on Pearson design tests. (laughs) Well, duh. (laughs) Private businesses are also heavily involved in a national push to standardise and share school and student data. And Australian schooling now has arguably the most developed national data infrastructure in the world, the report finds. Well, scary. uh, yes, it is, isn't it? And perhaps we're now looking, too, at uh, what identity theft of our our children. Um, uh, I find this quite extraordinary. Why haven't the education departments got curriculum sections of the department. Mm. Why don't they have our own experts who've actually been in our schools drawing up our curricula and our textbooks? Because they're still buying the lie that private is better better than than public. And I thought... They're pushing the lie, actually. Yes, well, um, Mr Kennett and Ms Kerner and people in the past uh, decentralised the education department because they said that the schools needed to look at their own curriculum and their own what was uh, locally relevant for their children. But here we have, being imposed upon our schools, um, global business operation. Mm. It really is quite frightening. It is. Uh, so there's money to be made from insecure parents and um, teachers who want an easy ride in our schools just um, teaching children for tests. Mm. Uh, there's uh, quite a lot of profiteering to be made in this. Mm. There's also apparently profiteering to be made in the developing world with poor people. And um, the really big, big, big billionaires of the world from Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg and others, Bill Gates are in Africa looking at this 
But the problem is, if private is all the children of the world have, and private doesn't make profits, then what will the children do when the companies either go bankrupt or withdraw? Mm. Once again, over to Dale. Thanks, Jean. I've got here an article uh, from Diane Ravitch. Uh, Peg Tyre, can a high-tech startup in Africa educate hundreds of millions of children and make a profit? Peg Tyre, veteran journalist and published uh, veteran journalist, pu- published a balanced and well-written article about Bridge International Academies in New York Times Magazine. BIA operates numerous low-fee for-profit schools in Africa and its investors hope to spread its brand across the world. Investors in Bridge include Bill Gates, Mark Zuckerberg, Pearson and other familiar names. The founders had no education experience but they had experience creating successful tech startups. They wanted to disrupt education in the manner of Uber and Airbnb the leaders of the new tech-based economy. They raised $100 million. Their schools cost parents a few dollars a month. Teachers delivered scripted lessons written in the US and delivered daily to them on an iPad. BIA opens its schools in poor countries where the quality of public education is low. They hope to do good while doing well. Critics, including me, see BIA as a way that these countries slough off their responsibility to provide education by outsourcing it. Critics see it as neo-colonialism. Huge numbers of families can't afford to pay the low fees. Kids are kept out of school when their parents don't pay. BIA was supposed to generate huge revenues. However, it's losing $1 million a month. That is the only metric that counts. If they don't turn a profit, they will close shop and move on. And then what for the kids? That's, I suppose, the risk of involving big business with something so important as education? Well, I think it means uh, that well, with, with privatisation, with, um, with private profit, uh, people don't matter and mm. children, of course, get caught up with it. Mm. Um, And you have, of course, from Diane Ravitch also on her blog, information about the charter schools in in America. This is a very interesting article from July the 5th on her blog about charter schools. Now, charter schools have been proposed in Australia by Pine. They are the independent, so-called independent public schools that he was trying to impose on Western Australia. So they're there in the background with the neoliberal uh, ideology uh, which has taken off in America and which they have tried to impose on Australia. The, um, the private schools, of course, are part of all of this too because nobody can say if they are overfunded. If private schools are overfunded, then they're making a profit. They're making a profit at public expense. That really is what it means if the private schools are overfunded. And that was what Birmingham, even Birmingham, and even Turnbull and the Labor Party and everybody have to actually admit large numbers of private schools in Australia, if you go to the My School website, are overfunded for the job that they are supposed to do. 
it costs approximately 14000 to give a good secondary education to a child in Australia per head. And you have schools which are bringing in well over 30000 40000 uh, They're overfunded. Now, this uh, is about charter schools. Charter schools were initially promoted and they're being promoted in Australia as independent public schools by educators who sought to innovate within the local public school system to better meet the needs of the students. But over the last quarter of a century in America, charter schools have grown dramatically to include large numbers of charters that are privately managed, largely unaccountable and not transparent as to their operations or performance. The explosive growth of charters has been driven in part by deliberate and well-funded efforts to ensure that charters are exempt from the basic safeguards and standards that apply to public schools, which mirror efforts to privatise other public institutions for profits. Charters have grown the most in school districts that were already struggling to meet students' needs due to long-standing systemic and ingrained patterns of institutional neglect. Racial and ethnic segregation, inequitable school funding, disparities in staff, programs and services. Sound familiar? We've got that in Australia at the moment. The result has been the creation of separate, largely unaccountable, privately managed charter school systems in those districts that undermine support and funding of local public schools. Such separate and unequal education systems are disproportionately located in and harm students and communities of colour by depriving both of the high-quality public education system that should be their right. Now, a lot of educators in the United States, and they turn up on Diana Ravitch's pro, uh, blog, and we invite you to go to her blog. It's a very good blog. You just put Diana Ravitch in your search in engine and her blog. You'll, that will take you to her blog. Uh, the, the people who write on her blog are well worth reading. Now, the educators who write on Diane Ravitch's blog believe that public education is the cornerstone of our social, economic and political structure. And so, of course, do the dogs. The uh, teachers' unions over there had a resolution that the very foundation of good citizenship and the fundamental prerequisite for every child's future success uh, is a public education system. So the growth of separate and unequal systems of charter schools that are not subject to the same basic safeguards and standards that apply to public schools threaten the students and the public education system in the United States. So this is what the NEA resolution says. The purpose of this policy statement is to make plain that the National Education Association's opposition to the failed experiment of largely unaccountable privately managed charter schools, clarifying their support, continued support for those public charter schools that are authorised and held accountable by local democratically elected school boards or their equivalent. So it goes on, uh, their policy statement, 
Uh, but And they are prepared to uh, look at the public charter schools, which are still are part of the public system. But they go on to say that the theory that charter competition will improve public schools has been conclusively refuted. And in Australia, the theory that having a competitive private system as well as the public system will improve our public schools has also been well and truly refuted. Education should not be about competition. Education should be about giving every child every child in this country a decent and first-rate education so that they have a future in this country. Uh, In fact, at their worst, the charters have inflicted significant harm on both the students and the communities. Of the charter schools that opened in 2000, A full fifth had closed within five years of opening and a third had closed by 2010. Because the very opening of charters often prompts cutbacks and or closures in local public schools, these alarmingly high charter closure rates subject students and communities to cycles of damaging disruption. A child starts a school, it closes, and where do they go to school? We had this in the 90s when Mr Kennett closed so many of our state schools. The people who had gone to those state schools, whose identity in that area had been with the school of their childhood, were devastated. There was great grief. But what about all of the children who were currently enrolled in those schools? They had to go elsewhere. So Mr Kennett succeeded in disrupting so many families and children's education in the 90s. We remember, and we are deeply still in grief for such disruption. But this disruption can also leave students stranded mid-year. Even closures that occur at the year's end disrupt students' education and unmoors communities that previously had been anchored by the local public school. Charters that are not subject to the basic safeguards and standards detailed also open up the local public schools to profiteers. Such charters have operated without any effective oversight, draining public school resources and thereby further harming local public schools and the students and communities that they serve. And this has happened in Australia where we have had religious schools doing this. They have undermined the local public school. They are in the business of undermining our local public school. The enrolments at the local public school have gone down and they are available for closure and sale to developers to build more houses than that children will be in. And then when those children have grown up, the public school is no longer there for them as a choice. We know it, we have experienced it, and there are parents in Melbourne that are fighting to get those schools reopened right now, and they're doing a a valiant job. So what is happening in America has already happened in Australia. Now, finally, one particular form of unaccountable privately managed charters deserves specific discussion. It's a fully virtual or online charter schools cannot, by their very nature, provide students with a well-rounded, complete educational experience, including optimal kinesthetic, physical, social and emotional development. Accordingly, 
they should not be authorised as charter schools. And we're being told that this is the way of the future, of course. Technology, computers, even robotic teachers. So it's important in the United States and in Australia that people fight for their public schools. And the teachers' union in America is trying to organise people for this very reason. The NEA stands for our students wherever they are educated, relegating students and communities to unaccountable, privately managed schools that do not comply with the basic safeguards and standards detailed, has created separate systems of charters that are inherently unequal. To counter the threat to public education of such charter schools, the uh, Teachers' Union supports both communities organising for quality public education and educators working together to improve the charter schools that they have. The um, union supports communities that are working to hold charters accountable, whether that work takes the form of state legislative initiatives, local school board resolutions and actions, or efforts to raise local awareness of the need for charters to comply with the basic safeguards and standards detailed. They also support state and local efforts to preserve public school funding and services by eliminating such funding and services from unaccountable, privately managed charters that do not comply with basic safeguards and standards. So, uh, following this, there is a list of heroes of this blog. And Diana Ravage invited people to add their name. And uh, she noted that there were an amazing collection of readers on her blog and she often posts their comments because they're well-written, succinct, informative and besides which most of you know more about teaching in everyday life of the classroom than she does. So um, we suggest you go and read Diana Ravitch's blog. We also suggest that you read our website at www.adogs.info if you want to find out more about the dogs and more about what is actually going on in Australia. I don't apologise for telling you about America and I'd like to tell you a bit more about Britain today too, where the battle goes on for public education. But there is always next week. So stay listening to 3CR and Tune in to 3CR for the Dogs Program at 12 noon next week. But from Dale and I, bye for now. I dreamed I saw Joe here last night, alive as you and me. Says I, but Joe, you're ten years dead. I never died, says he. I never died, says he. In Salt Lake City, Joe, says I, him standing by my bed. They framed you on a murder charge, says Joe, but I'm dead, says Joe, but I'm
horses killed you, Joe. They shot you, Joe, says I. Takes more than guns to kill a man, says Joe. I didn't die, says Joe. I didn't die. And standing there as big as life, and smiling with his eyes, says Joe, what they can never kill. Went on to organize. Went on to organize. From San Diego up to Maine, in every mine and mill, where workers strike and organize, it's there you find your hill. It's there you find. Says he.